welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Today's Halloween. Um, It's also the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. 504 years ago, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on Castle Church Wittenberg's doors with his grievances, regards to lots of things, but some involving things called indulgences and misuse uh, that was going on in the leadership of the church and uh, not his intention to start a separate community, but that was the result of it and we are here because of it, that we are part of this rich tradition that's 2,000 years old that has lots of issues, no doubt. We are not perfect as an institution, church, capital C, universal church, but we are part of a movement that believes God is real. Jesus is the son of God who came into human history, died on the cross and rose again. And we have organized our lives around that confession. And with that means uh, things like community and structure and organization. And as much as we wanna deconstruct those things, we are part of this growing movement for 2000 years that is both imperfect and led by imperfect people, but moving forward in the redemption and renewal of all things. That God's purpose is to be and dwell with his people to bring about his dreams for creation. And so we celebrate the the courage it took for someone like Martin Luther and people throughout the past who have uh, challenged uh, the status quo and brought about reformation, revival, and renewal through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, happy Halloween. Uh, Happy Reformation. I am, we started a series last week, Pastor Amy, our youth pastor, delivered an incredible sermon, starting one another. Um, And if you're new to our church, we believe women can preach uh, and lead and do all the things that men can do because it's biblical. Um, That's a whole other discussion and we can help you walk through that. I'm not saying that just as a blanket statement. I'm saying that deeply rooted in theology and history and God's heart for creation and all of people. Um, But she started a series called One Another and we were looking at um, in this year of radical discipleship, how we live as followers of Jesus. And what we have to know is that there um, there is no other context for following Jesus outside of community. And so with that, we uh, recognize that if we are going to follow Jesus, we need each other. And that's where our discipleship goes sideways, doesn't it? It's, yes, it does. I know the groans inside. That in order to follow Jesus, we have to obey the commands he gives us, and there are over 59 one another commands in the New Testament. And uh, she listed all of those last week, and, and I'm gonna focus on one. Um, I want to talk about one today, but before I continue our series, I want to start with a confession, if that's okay. A serious confession. Uh, This past week, I had an experience. Hey, do you mind turning this down a little bit? This last week, I had an experience that caused some significant disruption in my life. Uh, I want to bring this to you in humility Uh, And some of you are going to have a hard time hearing this, but I just want to share with you thoughtfully something that I think happens to all of us or some of us quite often. During this past year, during the pandemic, 
in 2020. Um, I was on social media, and there was a well-known pastor who, who, whom I loved online, and I've read lots of his work. Um, but he was somebody in 2020 who was posting his perspective on social media, and his politics offended me. I uh, disagreed with some of his statements about things that were going on culturally, um, and I felt as though his stuff was wrong, and I chose to unfollow him on social media. Um, but I didn't just unfollow him. I closed myself off to what he brought as a teacher. I uh, didn't say anything to anyone. I didn't publicly make this, you know, a thing. But his politics offended me, and I reacted. And the posture of my heart, the internal reality of my being was to shut myself off from what he had to offer because of his politics. I wasn't broadcasting my opinion. I wasn't challenging him publicly. I simply disagreed privately and chose to no longer be open to him as a teacher and pastor, as a leader. And then this past week, I got to spend a few days with him. Didn't really know him. Spent three days up close with him, and uh, I was overwhelmed by his kindness, by his genuine love, his demonstration of love and wisdom that was embodied in his personhood. He was beyond inspiring. I was overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus he carried as a human being. I was deeply blessed by him, and I learned so much in the short few time, uh, days that I had with him. He helped me as a father. He helped me as a husband. He helped me as a pastor and as a leader. And I was blessed uh, to find myself having more intimacy with God as a child because of him, because of his presence, because of what he had to, to offer. Having left the time with him, I got on a plane, and I was on a plane, and I felt convicted. I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for believers. He brings things to mind that feel disconnected at times, but bring us back into alignment of holiness and purity and the character of Christ. So I was on my uh, airplane back and I realized that the Holy Spirit was convicting me of sin, that I had chosen to dishonor him, this man. I dishonored him internally Never publicly. It wasn't a word that I said about him in public. It was my thoughts. It was my ideas. It was the posture of my heart towards this person that I disagreed with. Politics matter to me as they matter to most, a lot of us. And we have diff different, agree uh, different views and perspectives. But what I realized is that in my disconnecting from this man, I had dishonored him in my heart, in my thoughts. And during this pandemic, I was quick to shut him off because of a different perspective he had. And I wonder how many of us are here and we've done the same thing that we have cut ourselves off from relationships, from friendships, from family members because of something they've posted, because of something they said, because of some offense that took place a couple years ago in the last six months, because of their views of vaccines or non-vaccines or anti-vaccine, because of their views of Trump or their views of Biden. And for some reason, we have shut ourselves off from those people 
Now, I'm not here to talk about those things. I'm here to simply confess that what I realized is that I was convicted because I did something internally, and I think lots of us do this all the time. And I want to talk about this idea that is central to our discipleship, and it is a command in Scripture. So if you would go to Romans chapter 12, and let's talk about this idea of honoring one another. Father, would you speak to us through your word today? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, remind us of what we're called into and, in, and teach us to obey your way. I pray for power and courage to be a different kind of person because of your scriptures. And I pray that the word of God would have authority over our lives to change not just our behaviors, but to change our heart posture towards one another. May you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, not because we can strengthen ourselves or do it by ourselves, but through your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse nine. So Paul um, moves now. First 11 chapters of this book are really about all the things that God has done for us. And then in chapter 12, he transitions from this is everything God has done to now, therefore, how do we live as God's people, as followers of Jesus? And if you would just skip to verse nine, I wanna show you Paul gets very specific for Christian communities. If you are not a Christian, if you are not a part of this community, Garden Church, this sermon is not for you. I don't, I don't really wanna speak to you per se because I realize that some of you are online and you call the Garden home and I love that. This is your community. So this is for those that call the Garden Church home. It's very hard in our context to preach to the body in a local community because we're so disembodied as a people. We podcast and we, we listen to all these different pastors and we think we're just educating ourselves with different views, but part of being covenanted to a community means we're in this together. We're on the same journey together. We're in different places, absolutely, but we have covenanted. We have committed ourselves to this people with all of their imperfections and brokenness because this is our family and we don't get to choose who belongs to our family. So Paul says, to that kind of community, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another. Pursue passionately brotherly love. This Christian idea of love. It was a love that was created by the Christian church. This, this phrase love, this brotherly love, this type of fellowship love, this type of love for one another, be passionately pursuing that love. So we talk about love and it's really hard. And as you, you heard last week, it's really hard to break down love because love, we use it all the time for various things. I love burritos and I love my wife. And it doesn't make sense which one's greater. Nobody really knows because the word means the same thing. Clearly I love my wife more than burritos. But, but it, it, it can be esoteric, it can be um, it, this, this idea, this concept that's floating around in space, but Paul wants to reveal to you what love looks like in community. He goes on and he says, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people, 
who are in need and practice hospitality. And he goes on and he talks about a bunch of other things. But the, the thing I want to focus on is this command to honor one another above yourselves. This is what is commanded to the church in Rome, but it's also a lens of existence through the entirety of Scripture. Honor is not some peripheral concept in the Scriptures. It is central to the life of the Scriptures and to the church and to discipleship to Jesus. I'm just going to point out a couple of verses. You can write these down so you can understand um, where, where we see this concept of honor. Honor is in our destiny. Do I have these up? Honor in Revelation. Honor is in the Trinity. Honor is in creation, according to Isaiah. Honor is in sexuality. Paul will command us to honor our sexuality. And there's a biblical concept for what honoring sexuality looks like as followers of Jesus. Culture will say one thing, but the scriptures teach another thing. And just look at 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6 to, to look at what honor looks like for your sexuality as a person. Honor is in wealth, in marriage, in family, it's in human authority. So as a church, we are called um, to honor. And we're going to talk about what that means in just a second. But I want to paint a better picture as disciples. As a church, we are called to discipleship. We are following our rabbi Jesus. And we know that we are not just to believe the truths he spoke. We're not just to seek the life he promises. We are called to follow his way, to live his way, to adopt his lifestyle as and through the power of the Holy Spirit, to form our lives intentionally around the way of Jesus. This is, we've been talking about this for years. This is what discipleship is, formation. So in other words, Jesus is the ultimate model for us to live after. We are to pattern our lives after Jesus, and he models honor like no one else in scriptures. I want to give you um, a couple of passages to kind of think through when, when, it thinks, when we think about what it means to honor, and we'll define this word in just a moment. I know you're hungry for the definition. But go to Matthew chapter 10. I want to look at this story because it sneaks up on you. And I was reading it uh, a couple of days ago, and it, it really just was fascinating to think about. Matthew chapter 10. It's fascinating to think about, especially in reflection with the things that I was struggling with um, that I confessed earlier. Matthew chapter 10, verse uh, 1. Jesus models a culture of honor. You see, honor is the culture that Jesus built around him, and he invites his disciples to share that perspective and, and reality. Matthew chapter 10, it says this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So Jesus calls his 12, his inner circle, to do the things he was doing, to have the authority, the right to operate in power and power to what? To do the things he did, to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Now, we often read over these, but let's just read the names of the 12, will you? So these are the names of the 12 uh, apostles. First is Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, a tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You guys catch it? You guys see 
in the written word of the Lord, this culture that Jesus is forming? Did you catch in first century context red flags? Red flag, timeout, inner circle, Matthew, a tax collector, Simon, a zealot. You couldn't get two more diverse people in the group. You have literal enemies in the inner circle, economic enemies, spiritual enemies, um, relational enemies. Simon the Zealot is stocking up weapons of mass destruction, training himself physically to assassinate Romans and Roman conspirators. And Matthew, the tax collector, is a tax collector. He's conspiring with Rome to enforce with Roman guard the taxation of his own people. Simon is destined to kill Matthew. Fact. And yet Jesus brings those two in together despite their differences and creates a kind of culture within the community that honors each one uniquely. He sees something inside this zealot who would have been angry with all the other Jewish people, even Simon Peter, because he's a fisherman. This man is living the Torah out in such a radical way that he believes if he wipes out the enemy, then then the Messiah will come and, and bring a holy war against Rome. So you have this, this unique reality where Jesus brings two of the opposite, literally enemies in the political, religious sense, together in the same family. How is that possible? How is it possible to bring enemies together and live in relationship with one another? I'm not talking about harmony today. I'm talking about honor. There's another story, which I love, and I don't have time to read it. It's, it's Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, right? So even in our society where honor is present, but honor is present in the world standards based on performance and cultural markers of success. So we give honor to people who earn and deserve it based on their education, on how they look, how they dress, their family status, their wealth, their social class, et cetera, et cetera. So in the first century, honor was given to those who operate inside the cultural standards of any society. So 2,000 years ago, you would honor people who operated well in that society. You would shame or dishonor someone if they operated outside. And for a chief tax collector, you were disowned, shamed, and dishonored by your people. You were excommunicated from fellowship with other Israelites. You could never have a meal with them. You could never go to temple. You couldn't go to synagogue. You couldn't eat with your parents. Your parents would disown you because you were conspiring with Rome. You were breaking the Torah, the law. But Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he says, I'm going I'm to come to your house. He, this rabbi, prophet, the son of God is going to go into the dwelling place. To enter into his home would be a taboo 
breaking the, the oral tradition of holiness by the rabbis of his day, the Pharisees. Not just going into his home, but then he would sit and have a meal with Jesus and have table fellowship, therefore extending forgiveness, acceptance, embrace, and honor to Zacchaeus. And at the end of this encounter, look at what happens when Zacchaeus is surrounded by the culture Jesus permeates through his being. He says, essentially, I'm going to give half my possessions away. He doesn't have an, he doesn't have an, we don't know what happens. He doesn't argue with him. Jesus has a meal with him. And the response in Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector's heart, is to give half of his possessions away and anyone he cheated, he will pay back, pay back four times the amount. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to your home. And listen to this. He says at the end of Luke 19, he says, you too are a son of Abraham. You see, a culture of honor recognizes the God-given identity in people. You can't take away your, the in, intrinsic value and worth of a child of God because Zacchaeus too is worth dying for. Yeah. How can we diminish the image of God in one another? How can we diminish the fact that Jesus is willing to die for your enemy and you and you have the audacity to disown them in word, in action, in thoughts, in heart? This is what Jesus is after. Jesus over and over again throughout scripture lives out this radical perspective of honoring people above himself, whether it's tax collectors, lepers, demon-possessed people, children, paralytics, or prostitutes. Jesus literally flips the standards of the world upside down on its head where, where they honor based on performance and measuring up to a standard given by society. Jesus honors out of, out of a radical vision of creation and redemption. And this is what he invites us into. This is what Paul commands of Christians. Church, garden church. This is what is commanded of us as gardeners. What is honor? Definition is this. To esteem, to hold in great respect, or to place value on a person. Honor is the recognition of value, contribution, and importance of others or as I've heard it, and I love this def definition, honor affirms value. Honor affirms value. I was in the airport with this guy who forgot his reading glasses. He, I forget what it's, what, what's it called when you can't see up close? Farsighted. That's right. Some of you know. So we were at the airport. He forgot his reading glasses. He's going on a four-hour flight. And, and he's got this kind of panic, like, oh, what am I going to do? I, he can't see his hand. His, seeing his hand is fuzzy. He can't read his phone. He can't read. He can't, enter, he can't watch anything on the flight. So we spent a good 45 minutes in the Dallas airport going around to every convenience store looking for reading glasses that fit his prescription. There's a 7-Eleven in the Dallas airport. And he grabbed two of, the, of his prescripted glasses, and he brought them to um, the person to pay. He didn't look at how much they were because seeing is more valuable than money. And, uh, and he couldn't read it. So he, he, um, <laughs> he, bought, he bought it. And, and it was funny because I, I can see just fine. I, I was with him on his moment of crisis, but he clearly valued 
reading glasses more than me. He determined the value of those reading glasses. Honor affirms value. Who gets to determine your value? Jesus. God. The Father gives you value in the moment he created you. You are his child, wonderfully made on purpose, not by accident because cosmos collided together. Particles in the air. He created you to embody the image he possessed to rule and subdue creation. You have value because you took breath. And Jesus affirms that value based on his willingness to die in your place on the cross. And the spirit of God affirms that value as he fills you to remind you what happens when the spirit comes according to Romans chapter eight. He cries out, your spirit cries out, Abba, Father, you are affirmed as the child. It is a Trinitarian perspective that our value comes from the creator, from Christ our savior and from our, the spirit of God himself who dwells within us. And so when we honor one one another, we don't get to determine the value of that person. It's already been laid out at the foundation of creation. Jesus demonstrates your worth. So when we choose to dishonor someone, not only do we diminish that person, but we slander the image of God and make a mockery of the cross. And we go against the flow and direction of heaven because the flow of heaven is one of honor. So if you are going against, against the flow of heaven, what direction are you going in? Hell, in case you were wondering. Oh, the world, the devil. We don't talk about it enough. We need to know that this is not some neutral concept that you're struggling with on social media. It is demonic. The enemy wants to diminish the image of God. The enemy wants to diminish the work of the cross. Cross. The enemy wants to diminish the work of the spirit. He wants to destroy your identity. He wants you to destroy the identities and personhoods of others. And so when you live into society's structure, you live into the culture our society presents, which some scholars or historians or anthropologists would call, we, what we live in today in the West is a culture of contempt. Sebastian Younger writes, he was a soldier who wrote about the importance of honor and respect as he documents his grief of returning to America after serving in the military overseas in his book called Tribes. I highly recommend the book. He says this, we live in a society that is basically at war with itself. People speak with incredible contempt about depending on their views, the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign born, the president, the entire US government. It is a level of contempt that is usually reserved for enemies in wartime, except that now it is applied to our fellow citizens. Unlike criticism, contempt is particularly toxic because it assumes a moral superiority in the speaker. Contempt is often directed at people who have been excluded from a group or declared unworthy its benefits. Contempt, as it's defined, is the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration. 
worthless, or deserving scorn to consider someone or something to be unworthy of respect and attention. The culture we live in is a culture of contempt, and contempt diminishes the value of others. This is why if we stay in autopilot or live in this neutral setting of culture and society, we treat each other the way we do in our culture and society. This is why we can retaliate online through social media posts. This is why we can demonize somebody who has a different perspective or cut them off from our lives because of their, pers- their views about things. Because we can talk about, and this is why we talk about other people behind their backs. Whether that disagreement was small or big, contempt is the ability to talk about people behind their backs. Because we live in a culture of contempt. This is why we gossip. This is why we give permission in Christian settings to vent to one another. Can we just, can we just take the word vent and replace it with gossip for a moment? Do you mind doing that? Can I speak to Garden Church? Will you lean in for a moment? Because I want to speak to you as a pastor. As a pastor who's witnessed, who's seen, who's been the end of what is slander and gossip in our church. Who's seen people talk about people who aren't present. And I want to make it perfectly clear what gossip is. So you will never not know ever again. Okay? Because you might think you aren't the one gossiping, but let me show you how you're a participant. And this is a challenge to all of us, including myself. Are you with me? Gossip is when you have a conversation about someone who's not present. And whether you're having the conversation, speaking those words, or you're participating by listening to the words and choose not to stop the conversation. Choose not to hold that person up and honor them. And that person who's not there, their, their reputation is diminished by the words that were said. So whether you're saying the words or you're hearing the words, you are participating in the sin of gossip. And whether you call it gossip or not, or you call it venting in a safe community, it's still gossip. And it diminishes the value of people. It slanders the image of God. It corrupts the church. And it's not okay. There's no sin that's permissible. And for some reason, it seems like Maybe it's a generational thing that millennials, we think, and younger, we think that our views about everything should be shared to everyone. In our attempts to make emotionally healthy culture and community, we bring our unfiltered, unprocessed opinions of others into places that don't belong. Are you honoring? Are you honoring your brother or sister in your words, in your thoughts, in your heart posture, are you open to them? Or are you dishonoring, leading towards contempt? Are you guys okay? Other people don't get to control your honor. You do. So when you dishonor, where, where did it come from? Ask the question because it didn't come from heaven. And if you feel, feel dishonored, it's okay. Because if you take offense to dishonor, it will lead you down the path of dishonoring. I'll get to that in one second. I want to talk about something that I see. When we honor one another above ourselves, we align ourselves with the flow of heaven. Let me explain this, okay? Honor is the direction that heaven flows. We see this all over scripture. But when you go against the flow of heaven, you go against um, the things that God has for you. In other words, dishonor 
shuts you off from the good things God has for us. Dishonor shuts us off from the good things God has for us. Mark chapter 6. I want to make this point. We'll come to some practicals in just a moment. Mark chapter 6. Look at this. Verse 1. Please read this with me. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Um, this is Jesus ministering as a, as a, they don't really know who he is. Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he a rabbi? Is he the son of God? Is he just a teacher? It says this, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. So he goes to his hometown. When the Sabbath came, disciples, I'm sorry, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. His relatives in, in his own, among his relatives and in his hometown. He could, and then look at what it says. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So check this out. Dishonor cuts us off from the good things God has for us. Dishonor cuts these people off from the ministry of Jesus. What happened they took offense at what? The familiarity of Jesus. Hey, this, this kid grew up with us. Where did he get this power from? Where did he get this wisdom? And that lack of ability to see that God is doing a new thing in your family member, in your friend, in your spouse, that dishonor cuts you off from receiving the gift that is in that person. When we choose to not recognize the gifts that are present in our community, when we choose to not recognize the gifts that are in our missional community, our house churches, in one another, we cut ourselves off from the gifts that we could receive from those people. He goes on to say, um, well, let me just keep going. They couldn't see the gift that Jesus was. And as a result of their offense, it led them to dishonor. And that dishonor cuts them off from the flow of heaven. Do you see it now? It often happens. So check this out. Dishonor doesn't just have to be acted upon outwardly. Let me make a point. It can be something that only happens internally. You can dishonor someone internally, and you can take a posture in your heart that now shapes the way you think and see this person. This is what happened to me because of Instagram posts. I was not able to receive from a pastor because he held a different political perspective than I did at that time. And in my mind and in my heart, couldn't learn anything else. And then I show up and I am overwhelmed by the Jesusness in this person to the point where I am literally up late at night reading scripture because of a conversation, waking up early filled with questions because I was, I was shocked by the revelation he possessed and the revelation he lived in as an uneducated pastor. And we can make these decisions in our heads and our hearts and it puts us into a cycle. And I want to give you this idea that I have because I think we do it so unintentionally. You get stuck in a cycle when you get offended. 
Somebody says somebody, somebody posts something, you get hurt, you carry that offense with you. That offense turns into bitterness. That bitterness turns into resentment. And if you carry around resentment and bitterness, you begin to collect injustices. This person did this, or you heard from someone who gossiped that this person did this. Now you are collecting in your history with this person all the evidence to use as ammo to complete that narrative of that person that you have chosen to dishonor in your thoughts and in your heart. Are you with me right now? Offense, hurt, bitterness, resentment, collection of injustices. So you made your case, and then it leads to unforgiveness. And if you read scriptures, the parables of unforgiveness, what you must see is when you choose as a follower, as a, as a, a non-Christian, when you choose to live in offense, which produces unforgiveness, you give permission to the enemy to torment you. Your inheritance of unforgiveness is to be tormented by the adversary and enemy. You are imprisoned by your unforgiveness, and it starts with dishonor. It starts with taking offense and building a case. And it might be justified. They might have hurt you, but you don't get to dishonor them. You might need some boundaries and not engage in relationship with them. You might need to unfollow this person. Don't do it because they have a different perspective than you. Do it because there is a boundary that you've agreed upon and you, this person is breaking that boundary and you have healthy relationships. Read about emotionally healthy spirituality and relationships. I'm not saying you should be friending everyone on social media. I'm not saying that at all. But in my specific example, what I realized is I dishonored this person and cut myself off from the good things God had for me over the past year and a half. You guys with me? Do you see how dishonor leads to a cycle that eventually imprisons you and gives you access to the enemy and you receive an inheritance that you didn't want in the first place? And so we have to challenge the perspective. We have to challenge the cycle and it all starts with a culture of honor. So if dishonor cuts us off from the good things God has for us, honor opens you up it opens you up to receive the good things God has for you. It postures your life in the flow of heaven so that you can receive and gain access to the things God has for you. I, I know this sounds crazy, but I want to show you something. I need you to have this mindset. So go to Matthew chapter 10. So later on in the gospel of Matthew, we read about, um, in Matthew 10, we read about this, this story of calling the disciples. But look at what, what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 40, check this out. Please pay attention because I want, I want to give you something to see the world through. Because if you learn to see the world this way, it will, it will open you up to so much more in the kingdom of God. I believe there's a lot of fruit to be had if you just posture yourself with this perspective of honor. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. Jesus says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. So check this out. Jesus is training us disciples to operate in the world in the way that he operates in a culture of honor. First he says, there is a reward we get 
that we have access to when we choose to live out a culture of honor. It is a command that has a reward and blessing attached. So write that down. When you live in the flow of heaven, there is a blessing that's attached. When you welcome Jesus, he says, this is so crazy. When you welcome Jesus, he's saying this in the first century context, you welcome the one who sent me, you welcome the father. Now in that context, this is crazy. He will say, if you see me, you will see the father. Remember, and Thomas is like, well, well, show us the father. And Jesus is like, come on. I've been showing you the father everywhere Jesus went. He's revealing this love, this divine encounter of the father's embrace. It's absolutely amazing. So we are trained as disciples to see Jesus and to receive him. We receive the father as well. We get this Trinitarian perspective. But then he goes on. And I've always wondered about this because I never understood what he was getting at until you approached it through this understanding of the flow of heaven and the access you get. When you welcome a prophet in a prophet's name, you receive a prophet's reward. This is what Jesus is saying. In the world, in the church world, let's talk about the church world. We tend to see um, people based on the perspective we've been discipled into. And in most church contexts, can I just say this? We receive teaching from teachers, right? So if you've been trained that the main thing is to receive a good teaching on Sunday and you'll receive good content from good teachers, you guys know this? This is why when John Mark Comer comes to our church and preaches the same sermon I've been preaching for five years, you receive it and it's like, I've never heard this before because he's anointed as a teacher. And you recognize that and you receive it. But we've neglected all the other gifts, haven't we? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. Why is it that you can literally be pastored by Bill when he's standing here with 300 people in a room? Because he's an anointed pastor. He's he's a teacher, absolutely. He is an anointed Ephesians 4 pastor. Which is why you think he's only preaching to you when he preaches. And so do you, and so do you, and so do you, and everyone else. But in the church, there's other gifts. In your house church, in your community, there's more gifts. And I'm I'm just talking about the Ephesians 4 gifts, which is a, a whole other conversation we'll get into in the future. But he says... If you learn to receive, essentially, a prophet as a prophet, if you recognize the anointing, you get access to their reward. Do you have, do you have, that's like multi-level marketing kind of stuff, you know, like get in now because you're going to get in early and you're going to get all the, the people under you. It's like insane. But that's what Jesus is saying. If you learn to see what they carry, you honor what they carry you get access to what they possess. So when Julian, who is a prophet, Julian Adams, right? When he comes to our church, I don't bring him here as a teacher. He's an exceptional teacher. I bring him here as a prophet because what do Ephesians 4 gifts do? They equip the church for ministry. Equip, equip the saints so that we can be prophetic as a culture, that we can grow in prophecy. He'll raise up other prophets, not all of your prophets. And it will take time to develop maturity of an office of a prophet. But he comes in. If you have the eyes to recognize what's on him, you will gain access to what he carries, that he has spent his life giving himself to. You get to receive that. Like I got a text message from a missionary friend in Kona. 
who his um, cars broke down, both cars. This, the week before, he's supposed to take his oldest son to Turkey on a mission trip, and he couldn't afford the trip. He felt the Lord called him to, to send out an email to me and a couple other people, and I'm like, hey, man, that's not right. And, and we'll absolutely, our church is going to give to you. I, I text all my friends. I'm like, hey, guys, there's a missionary friend who needs money. This is what's going on. And what I see is this when that happens. Of course we're going to give. Like, my wife's like, that's all you gave? Give more. And it's like, what we've trained our eyes to see is when we have access to someone who's, a, who's been vocationally a minister of the gospel, going to places that don't know the gospel, we gain access to that ministry by generously giving and honoring the gift that's in him. Do you see this world, this, this lens of honor? That when we choose to recognize the gifts that are in each other, we gain access to them. But when we dishonor or when we live by culture, we begin to compare ourselves to each other. We compare and we cut ourselves off, right? Somebody comes in with an extraordinary gift we cut ourselves off because we're comparing. We're not, we're not like, we don't carry what they have. We don't teach like John Mark Comer. We don't know, we can't pastor like Bill Doctrine or whatever it is. Like I'm not an evangelist like so-and-so. I don't have, we, we cut ourselves off from what God wants to give us through them. We do it here all the time. We do it towards each other. I get the projection of, you know, your previous pastoral experience. People say, you look like the pastor that hurt me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Can't really do anything about this. <laughs> I got it from my mama. Um, in the church, if you don't honor the gifts, you will not receive from the gifts. So, you know, also I just want to make a quick point because I was reading 1 Corinthians 12. This is so fascinating. But the church, according to Paul, is first built on apostles, then prophets, then teachers. But we, we love the teachers but we haven't learned to honor the other gifts. And if we want to see revival, I'm going to make this perfectly clear, we need to learn to honor the other gifts we forgot about, the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. Because it is the apostle who empowers the community of faith to flourish in their giftings. It is the prophet who builds up the expectation that God is here and we can hear God. It is the evangelist who will beat the drum over and over again. This isn't for you. It's for them out there. And they will, they will annoy you with their talk about the lostness. And it is the pastor who will frustrate the movement of apostles because they just want to care for everyone and make sure we hold everyone's hand and get everyone to the where we're ending. And it is the teacher who will remind you of the truths that we need to embody in the doctrine and the faith. But if we build it just on teaching, we will miss out on the movement God has for us. And it all begins with this idea of honor. So let's be a church who honors one another above ourselves. Honor versus dishonor. Quick ending. I want to end this sermon. Honor affirms value. Dishonor diminishes the value of others. Honor builds others up. Dishonor tears down. Honor opens the door for possibility. Dishonor closes the door. Honor fills, dishonor empties. Honor creates access and dishonor restricts access. Honor gives it away, dishonor takes away. Honor expands your life, dishonor shrinks your world. 
Honor empowers others. Dishonor compares to others. And if we are a community who loves, then the community and culture that comes out of love practically will be a culture of honor. And if we create a culture of honor, let me just make this point. If we create a culture of honor, we will be a truth-telling community. We will be able to speak truth. And if we are able to speak truth, it will empower trust. Love creates honor culture. Honor empowers truth-telling. Truth-telling empowers trust. It empowers you to show up and believe each other's words because that's what culture of honor does. So today, I want to invite you to do a couple of things. Number one, reposture your heart towards the world around you. Is there anyone that you have cut out? Is there anyone who holds space in your heart and mind because of offense? And as a result, you're in a cycle of dishonor. Has anyone offended you? Have you dishonored anyone? And today I want to ask you simply on this Halloween day as we celebrate the Reformation. (laughs) What does repentance look like for you? Because one of the beauties of the Reformation is that we are saved by grace. That we don't need a priest to give us penance. We don't have to buy indulgences to secure our place with Christ. We actually get to simply say, Father, forgive me. And he does. This is the beautiful reformation that we inherit because of God's grace. How good is that? So in the words of Paul, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.